Well, throughout the fall, Pastor Jeff will be preaching a series of messages on the parables called the stories that Jesus told. Now, the word parable comes from a Greek word, actually two Greek words. The first one is para, which means beside, and balo, which means to cast or throw. And so a parable in its very basic sense means to cast aside a story or a meaning alongside something else or a picture which is given. Jesus uses parables to teach people about the kingdom of God and the character of God. They're stories that are common, everyday reference points that are used in order to make spiritual points. Jesus did not create parables as a form of teaching. As a matter of fact, parables were a common form a tool that were used by rabbis throughout the centuries, especially in synagogues. And as we prepare to hear in just a few moments the parable of the sower, I want you to listen for a moment to this rabbinic parable. There are four types of those who sit in the presence of a rabbi. You have the sponge, the funnel, the strainer, and the sieve. Which one are you? The sponge soaks up everything. The funnel takes everything in at one end and lets it out the other end. The strainer lets out the wine but retains the dregs. But the sieve removes the chaff and retains the fine flour. A parable should give us pause. And it should be willing to turn our world upside down. That's what Jesus did. And so will you stand with me as we read the words of the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, 1 to 13. Let us stand. And hear God's word for our lives. Now again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat. He sat in it out on the lake. And while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he scattered the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, sometimes multiplying 30, some 60, sometimes 100 times. 
And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may ever be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? May God transform our hearts and our lives through the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. While there are a series of messages that can come out of just this, simp- this one simple parable, I want us to consider a few things this morning, but not everything. For you see, in the fourth chapter, we find a very large crowd had gathered around Jesus because of all the miracles that he had been performing. Their curiosity is piqued, and Jesus is taking them in a new direction. He has a desire to take them into a deeper direction, and so he gets into a boat on the sea, and he starts to teach. Now, most, we can assume that Jesus spoke many things, but as Mark retells these events, Jesus has spoken this parable to the crowd. And he concludes with these words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now a little while later, Jesus is alone with his disciples and they're asking him about the parables, implying many have been spoken. And Jesus replies in verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now as Mark writes his gospel under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, these words challenge the hearers in the early church and they need to challenge us as readers and hearers today. And these words beg us to pause and ask the question, Am I really hearing God's kingdom words in and through the life of Jesus Christ? Are the words of Jesus being given to me, turning my world upside down? Because in part, that was Jesus' intent. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that we were there that day. We heard Jesus spoke many things, and including the, the parable of the sower, And now we are gathered as his followers. He pulls us aside and he gathers us in the sanctuary. And yes, there were more, we are more than 12, but just like the 12, we are a group of people who desire to follow Jesus. And Jesus says to us, to you, to all of you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So what's running around in your thoughts right now? What secret? Did I hear Jesus correctly? Did I miss something? 
What's he talking about? As we begin to unpack this parable, it's important that we hear these words in the context of being in community with one another. For you see, when he says you, he's not meaning just you as a single individual, but he means you as everyone who is gathered together. And in that moment, it was all of the, all 12 of the disciples. And for us, it means all of us here in this room. For you see, it's vitally important that we receive this parable, this teaching of Jesus, and all of the parables, not from our individualistic Western mindset, but that we receive it together as the family of God, the body of Christ. Jesus is not talking to just an individual, but he's talking to all those who would follow him. And it's for this reason, Pastor Jeff and the staff and the discipleship team have been inviting you over the last few weeks and encouraging you and even challenging you to be in community with one another, to hear and to receive God's word, whether it's on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, or in growth groups. And so I hope you will seriously consider that invitation. So what is the secret of the kingdom of God and the character of God that Jesus invites us to digest in this parable? It's captured really in three words. The sower, the seed, and the soil. The sower is the character of God. The seed is reveal, reveals the kingdom of God. And the soil is the heart of humanity. So let's consider each of these for just a few moments this morning and their relevance for our lives together as a community. The first, the sower is the character of God. Jesus begins the parable by saying, listen, a sower went out to sow. He immediately grabs the attention of everyone when he says, listen. Now that simple word, listen, is better understood, and some translations do it, by adding the word, behold. In other words, listen and behold. He's not just seeing, saying, hear the words. He's saying, hear and grab hold of the words. Hold on to the words that I'm about to say. And so he says, and the sower represents God. Now Jesus is recorded at one point by say, in saying, if you have seen me, you have seen my Father. And therefore we can simply deduce that the sower also represents Jesus. And as Christians, we are that band of Jesus followers, and if we have proclaimed Christ lives and dwells in our hearts, then by extension, we are also sowers. We are called to sow as Jesus sowed, as his father sowed. Say that 10 times real fast. 
Now, one of the things that I want you to understand that in Jesus' day, a farmer in Israel would, does not plant seed like you see in seeds planted in fields today. Matter of fact, what a farmer would do is he would take a sack of seed over his shoulder, something like this, and he would put his hand in and he would start throwing seed all over the place. He would just be walking along, throwing seed, scattering its seed. Now, a number of years ago, I did this and I actually had real seed and I made a mess all over the front, but not this morning. You know what? Scattering seed is my kind of planting. Think about it. Now, I also know that if I ever planted our large vegetable garden that we had in Columbia Station when we first moved to Ohio that way by just throwing the seed, I would have clearly raised the displeasure of my wife Elizabeth. Yet in Jesus' day, that was the normal way of planting. And so what does it teach us about the character of God? It reminds us that God scatters seed everywhere. God does not reserve his grace, his mercy, his love for just a few, for just a few people. He doesn't just save it for just a few spots at just a few places at just the right time. His kingdom is scattered everywhere to everyone. John 3.16 said, God so loved the world. He didn't say God so loved North Olmstead or God so loved my family. He said God so loved the entire world that he gave his one and only son. And God's grace and mercy, his love and his forgiveness, his presence and his peace, is scattered all over the world. And if he is freely spreading the seed of his kingdom, we as sowers must imitate and represent God and Jesus in the same way. It is imperative that we unreservedly scatter the seeds of God's kingdom to everyone, that we show mercy, grace, love, and forgiveness, patience, and kindness, not just to those we want to, but to everyone. God doesn't pick and choose where he throws the seed, and neither can we. If you look at the gospel story, you will soon discover that the religious leaders don't like where Jesus is throwing the seed of his kingdom. But where is he throwing it to? The broken, the hurting, the marginalized, the outcasts. Without discretion. So God doesn't pick and choose and neither can we. None of us deserve the kingdom of God. And so deserving of can never be the criteria we use for spreading the kingdom of God. 
Which leads us to the next question, what is that kingdom seed? The seed is the kingdom of God. In Jesus unpacking the parable to his disciples, he says the sower sows the word. Therefore, we could simply say that the seed is simply the word of God, but it's more than just the words of God. It's imperative to note in this passage that the seed is not just simply the words of salvation, of accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Yes, that personal relationship is part of the seed, but it is not the whole seed. John in his gospel tells us that Jesus is the word that became flesh. In other words, the totality of the kingdom of God is embodied in the totality of Jesus' life, in his words and in his deeds. You want a definition of the kingdom of God? It's simply this. It's the rule of God embodied in the life of Jesus. In the words of Terry Wardle, who God used in my life over the last few decades, he always liked to say the kingdom of God is walking the way of Jesus, the way Jesus walked the way. Walking the way of Jesus, the way Jesus walked the way. So do you know, seeds are quite amazing. For example, this is the season within our home, our yard, that our yard starts to be filled with hickory nuts. We are blessed and greatly appreciate all of those squirrels who dwell in the trees of our front yards, nibbling on the hickory nuts and throwing what they don't want all over the ground. But do you know something? Within that hickory nut contains everything that is needed for it to become a full-blown hickory tree. Within a seed, whatever that seed contains, within it, God has put within a seed everything that it needs and it's designed to be. And for us as believers, when we've accepted Jesus Christ into our lives and the Holy Spirit was planted in our lives, within that Holy Spirit, we have everything we need, everything we need to mature into the fullness of Christ and the kingdom of God. Therefore, when the body of Christ comes together, We, need, we have everything we need to grow just as the church is planted. So let me say one more thing about seeds. You know, we live in a world and an age where we have decided 
that genetically modified seed is a good thing. It helps seed to become more weather resistant and produce a greater harvest. But what I believe is we've also opened the door for people to experience all kinds of allergic reactions that we never saw 60 years ago. In a similar manner, especially in our Western culture, we are seeing a modified kingdom seed that's being scattered sometimes under the guise of things like progressive Christianity or the prosperity gospel or even Christian nationalism, to name a few. It's one of the reasons why I've become convinced it's essential for us, and I include me, that we need to saturate my, ourselves with the life and the teachings of Jesus and the Gospels. And I am making a commitment and a hunger and a desire to read a portion of the Gospels every single day because I want to saturate my life with Jesus. The life of Christ is the purity of God's kingdom, and we need to make sure that that seed that seed alone, Christ, and not some modified version is the seed that we're scattering. And that leads us to the soil. The heart of humanity is the soil. That Jesus says that there are four kinds of soil, and I'm not going to go. I, I'm not going to go into great detail about all of them. But the four soils are the hard heart, the heart that's hardened to God, the shallow heart which received God's word with great excitement, but because of troubles and trials, they fall away. There's the crowded heart the ones full of weeds and tares, earthly ambitions and material possessions. So it makes it hard for the heart to be fruitful. And then there's the good soil heart, where God's word is received with openness, humility, and a hunger for truth. That's the heart that God wants us to have. Now, before you start looking around this room, deciding who is what soil, that's not Jesus' clear intent. Each of us must ask the question, what soil am I? And the reality is this, that as I look back over 35 years of ministry, there I know that there have been seasons in my life where I've had the hard heart, I've had the shallow heart. I've had the crowded heart. And I've even had the good heart. So what is, or what creates, a heart of good soil? In the summer of 1994, Elizabeth and I packed up our bags and we moved our family. At that point, it was just Elizabeth and I, Isaac and Courtney, the four of us. We left the metropolitan and suburban life of Boston in Bedford, Massachusetts to come to the countryside 
and farming community of Columbia Station. Little did we know what God was getting us into. In the spring, since the church parsonage sat on almost an acre of land, we decided to plant this massive vegetable garden about 25 feet wide and about 100 feet long. Guess what we learned after the first growing season? Many things. One of the lessons we learned is that veggies don't grow very well in clay. So over the next few years, we worked to solve that problem and we would till into our garden the sweet country aroma of manure from our friend's farm. And guess what? The more manure we were able to, able to cultivate in over the years, the better and better our, car, our crops grew. We loved it so much that when we moved to our house in Olmstead Falls, we decided for a number of years to use horse manure instead of mulch in our gardens. So what creates a heart of good soil? Lots of manure. What's the manure of life? All of those really hard experiences that nobody signs up for or likes going through but happens because we're humans and we live with other humans. And no matter where we live, the reality is this. And excuse my English, but all of us have been crapped on. Right? We've all been crapped on. But have you ever stopped to think about it as God's manure to make your heart and life good soil for the kingdom of God? After all, Jesus did promise us trials and tribulations. You see, there are really only two options. All the messes that we experience in life, and quite honestly, some of them we create, we create on our own. You do know we've all made messes, right? Those experiences either harden us towards God or they create and fertilize our lives so that the kingdom of God can grow. Think about that. Now mix the manure of life with things like prayer and worship studying God's word, obeying and applying God's word, fellowship with other believers, practicing love and forgiveness, gratitude, humble, seeking wisdom, serving others. And you end up with really good kingdom soil for God's kingdom seed in our lives. By the way, I hope you'll seriously and prayerfully consider coming next Sunday at 9.30 and joining Gary Cron's class on Abiding in Christ about the spiritual disciplines so that you can learn about some of those ingredients that make good kingdom soil. You see... God is the ultimate seed scatterer, and he invites us to join him. 
And we are called to scatter or throw that seed of God's kingdom, love, and power. We are called to be good soil. We are not called to judge the soil of other people's hearts. That's God's business. That is God's work. We are simply called to scatter his pure kingdom seed and bear fruit from the good soil of our hearts. Henry Nouwen, commenting on the parable, says this about the power of God's grace to transform even the most hardened hearts. He writes, No heart is beyond redemption. Our job is not to judge or to reject those hearts that seem resistant to God's message, but rather to keep sowing the seeds with love and trust in his timing and his plan. God alone has the power to soften even the hardest soil. I want to end this morning by giving Mark Brewster an opportunity to share for just a moment about how God planted the kingdom seed in his hard heart through the life of his wife. Mark? I've never done this before, and I'm learning how pastors do it, where you share twice your story in the same day. Um, so I came in this morning and heard this quote and literally broke down because that was me. My heart became hard, and what I became as a Christian was a shell of a man. And what I became was a man that my wife prayed for day and night and loved the Lord with all her heart, which then therefore transferred, she loved me. And then I add, despite me. And many times at night, I've walked the streets, and I look to the stars and the heavens, and how magnificent all of creation is. And then I ask the Lord, why are you mindful of me? And I want to share with you, again, I said this morning, I get off uh, uh, course here but I, I trust the Lord the spirit, uh, the spirit of the Lord leading me but I ask you to consider this time that we're here now the message that we're pastor sharing with you my message to you of my life is to consider as was said to Esther for such a time as this why are we here why are you here and you can trace it back how far back can you go is it just by random chance, routine, schedule, this is the way it is? Ah, I organized my life this way, and this is how it's going to be, and this is how it is. Or did that God design it this way? Even right down to the very details. I've had multiple conversations today, one before directly related to what I share about my wife and what she did for me for 20 years. Guy never introduced himself to me before. He introduced himself to me and told me his story. And I just started crying. He, I don't think he saw me, but I wept thinking, thank you, Lord, for that confirmation. Three, four people afterwards have come and told me the same thing of what they've gone through and what they've experienced. 
for such a time as this, what brought me here is simply this. My wife died. I lived in Pennsylvania. We finally bought our first house. Kids were in school. Things were moving forward. I got a job we were making, I had for 10 years. Got rid of a lot of the bad people there. People were looking up to me. We're growing. I'm part of this corporation, making good money. Got benefits, car, all these things. And I lose my wife. None of it meant a thing to me anymore. And by God's grace, he taught me to be thankful through this rather than to become bitter and angry. Well, what I brought me to all that was considering I started to go to a, a bar to find God. I sat in the bar, and, and this is during COVID, and the young girls would bring me my coffee. One time I tried to drink, and the bartender literally stopped me. Wouldn't let me do it. Because I, at that point, I broke down. And I just kept reading God's word about his love. Why did my wife love me? Why did God love me? Why does God love me? And I kept learning through her life and her commitment to God how much she loved the Lord. And the Lord commanded her to love your husband. Doesn't say because he's a great guy, because I wasn't. There's a lot of that manure that we talked about she put up with. She had to live with. And yet through that, through her faithfulness of serving the Lord and loving me, here I am, telling you about the great love of the Lord Jesus Christ. My life has changed. I don't want, I could have gotten a job as a project manager here, good pay, truck, all the things that I had there. Lord, I don't want that. I want to talk about you. I want a job where I'm sharing the gospel. And, well, we're a year and a half later, and I'm finding different ways of doing it. Where I, where I work at the Metro Parks now, talk to the people about the Lord there, talk to people in the parks about the Lord there. Anywhere I go, I'm just trying to tell people about Christ, his great compassion. And it's all coming from my wife loving me despite who I was gave me the opportunity to realize where I am in Christ. And we're being called as a congregation to love one another. The only commandment that I can really find, and I'm sure there's other things Christ wanted us, where Christ said, if you want the world to know who you are, love one another. And he doesn't say love them because they're, oh, they're nice people. That guy deserves to be a nice guy. Nice no, is love them. Because I go to this every time when I'm faced with loving someone that really I need to, wanted to do something else. Didn't I love you? For 20 years, you turned your back on me. Yet, he never left me. If we put in our minds what Christ has done for us, we can do anything. And I'm evidence of the testimony of this. 20 some years I couldn't literally beat out of my head I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you because I tried in every way to not hear that voice tell me that and then through my wife's death seeing someone give their life for me and I understood what it meant that someone died for us I believe she gave her life for me to bring me to this point, to bring me here for such a time as this. 
So it leads us to all that's going on with the cafe, uh, the adult, adult groups, all these things. The church has asked us, get involved. Invest your life back to the church. Invest your life in one another. Amazing things are going to happen and will happen. So they asked me to be a part of the cafe. I didn't share this with the first group. I was going to start a cafe when I came here, and I, it hasn't happened. It was going to be in honor of my wife, my love's cafe. It all kind of fell apart. I just, I'm struggling trying to get these things. The pastor asked me, hey, can you help us with our cafe? Of course, what's my answer? First, I said no. Great. Through conviction, the Lord brought me back, and I said yes. Friends Cafe, all these groups, adult leadership, the discussion of the church group is starting September 10th. And I just want to share this with you. For me, it's confirmation of the Lord is moving in my life and brought me right here for this moment, this time. September 10th is my wife's birthday. Imagine the timing for all the days in the year they picked my wife's birthday. They had no idea. And I haven't told any, I've told like five people here. It's the timing of the Lord. So I just encourage you, think about, pray about, as Pastor said, investing yourself, whether it be in the cafe or just coming and joining us for coffee and discussing the Bible, Gary's class, Wednesday nights, but go beyond that. Use those things to invest yourself in the lives of the people around you. Thank you. Rather than sing our last song, I'd like us just to close in prayer. So will you pray with me? Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, O oh God, that seeds have been planted this morning in our hearts and in our lives. And I would pray, Lord, that you would help us to be that good soil that will produce a crop, a fruit that contains within it seeds of the kingdom for the sake of others. I thank you for the testimony of Mark. I ask your blessing to be upon him. And I ask your blessing to be upon each one in this room. Father, may we leave this place scattering your pure kingdom seed everywhere. and trust you to let it grow. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, go and sow kingdom seed everywhere and to everyone, now and always, in Jesus' name.